0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a... mm, Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. to take your retail business to the next level today, Shopify.com/slash/TheAthletic.
1: Late night, midnight on the interstate, and I didn't feel so great. The city. Welcome to Straight from the Source. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. This is Michael Russo. And if you're not an Athletic subscriber, I highly recommend you joining right now at the playoffs around the corner. You can get in for a discount at the athleticcom so Straight from the Source, $3.99 per month. That's uh, less than the Venti Americano with an extra shot that I just spent uh, at the Starbucks down the street uh, on Camelback here in uh, in Glendale, Arizona. Um, my guest today, Alex Tange, the Iowa Wild assistant coach. Um, he was one of my favorite analysts on the NHL network when he was there, but he decided he wanted to get into coaching. And despite his great NHL playing career, he had no preconceived notions that, hey, I'm going to start in the National Hockey League. He decided to go to the Iowa Wild and work as Tim Army's assistant down there. This is his second season. And we talk a lot about the Matt Boldies of the world, the Ryan O'Rourke's, the Connor Dewars, the Kalen Addison. Uh, people down there in Iowa, and what he's learned with his transition from playing to TV to now uh, coaching. But most people know Alex Tangay as the former Colorado Avalanche and Calgary Flames outstanding winger, Um, had an incredible rookie year in 2000, wound up playing over 1,000 games in the National Hockey League, uh, 863 points. But most people, especially Avs fans, remember him as the guy that scored the cup-clinching goal in Game 7 of the 2001 Stanley Cup Final to help lead the Avalanche to their second Stanley Cup, Patrick Wannett, Joe Sackett, Peter Forsberg, and Raymond Bork, uh, who was traded from the Boston Bruins that year. So we talked to Tange. About uh, Raymond Bork, when he lived with Patrick Waz rookie year. Just a lot of fun stuff during this podcast. And by the way, when Alex is done, uh, please do not turn off the podcast. I do a mini Q&A after the podcast on the Wild. A lot of great Twitter uh, questions from Wild fans. And speaking of the Wild, as I mentioned, I'm here in Arizona. The Wild uh, coming off a 5-2 victory last night against the Arizona Coyotes. Going into Wednesday night's game, the Wild are 6-1 against the Coyotes. That was the season series finale against the Coyotes, and I bet Arizona couldn't be happier about that. The one thing about the Wild this year is that they've they've beaten the teams that they should. The bottom five teams in the division, St. Louis, Arizona, San Jose, LA, Anaheim, the Wild are 21-7-2 against. And the teams at the top, they've obviously, as you all know, struggled dramatically against the Avalanche this season. But against the Vegas Golden Knights, they are four one and one going into the final uh two games of that season series, uh, coming up at XLNG Center here in, in uh, a short while and the wild look like they could play the avalanche in the first round. Uh, you know, again, Vegas excuse me. Uh, they look like they play the Vegas Gold Knights in the first round. And uh, and we'll see uh, if the Avalanche, when they come off their COVID break here, if they get back on in the swing of things. Um, you know, right now, the standings look like Vegas has taken the top spot in the division. In fact, they can win a playoff spot tonight, be the first team in the National Hockey League. But again, Colorado has been uh, temporo- temporarily shut down here. Um, so what's going on with the Wild right now? Well, they're getting, you know, up and down play. It's It's really interesting. Their power play is 15 for 34 in the month of April. They've gone from being the worst power play team in the league to I think they're 23rd now. Over the month of April, they're first in the league. But the one thing that has really taken a turn for the worse is their five-on-five play. They're one of the worst teams in the league in the month of April, and it's just funny how that goes. I truly believe one big reason is just the lack of practices. You can just only do much teaching on on video, and obviously, all teams around the league this year are dealing with that. Not a lot of practices going on in the NHL, but I just think it. You know, a couple practices could probably uh, fix a lot of the things that bother uh, uh, that are you know really hurting them right now um, because they're just not the same seamless team at five on five and you know it's funny i've always said all year long that that you just knew that once they fix their power play, that something else would break. That's always the way it seems to happen. Luckily, it hasn't been their penalty kill. Their penalty kill is still pretty good, uh, but their even strength play has just been uh, really lousy uh, lately. But for the most part, other than a couple games against the Avalanche and the St. Louis Blues, the Wild have survived that thanks to the fact that there are some uh, teams that are desperate behind them that are just uh, you know not very good, and that being Arizona and San Jose. So the Wild have taken care of business. Kirill Kaprizov last night scored a big goal, power play goal, the first Goal of the game. That was his 18th goal in 44 games that uh, tied Marion Gabrick's team record set in 71 games in 2000 2001. It was also his 37th point in 44 games that broke Marion Gabrick's record of 36 set in 2000 2001. Obviously, as Wild fans uh, know, the biggest difference there, though, is that Gabrick was 18 years old, turning 19 that February. Kaprizov is 23, turning 24 next week. Um, and Kaprizov played six years in the KHL. Uh, Gabrick did not play um, pro hockey before coming to Minnesota. So that's the big difference, obviously. But man, Kaprizov is, ju- is just the real deal. And it'll be interesting how uh, this summer the Wild sign him. I'm, I'm sure they've offered him an eight-year deal uh, north of 8000000 bucks. million. We'll see if Kaprizov uh, wants that. I mean, again, Remember, he has Paul Theophonis as his agent. Paul is the one that just signed Panarin uh, last year uh, to the New York Rangers at Monster Money. And, you know, from Theophonis' point of view, well, you know, Kaprizov might be very intrigued by a $64, 68000000 million type of contract. Uh, you know, in, from a Theofanas, the agent's point of view, he might say, you know what, take a five-year deal, take you to 29 years old, and then I'll get you the monster contract from either the Wild or somewhere else in five years. That it could be what the F camp is weighing right now. Uh, the, the Wild, obviously, Billy Guerin wants to get him signed as long as humanly possible. Uh, what else happened last night? Jordan Greenway, first goal in 22 games. Marcus Foligno set him up. Doesn't it feel like Marcus Foligno is the key to this team at times? They were just sort of up and down and Felino was out those fifteen uh, games with the broken ankle, he's come back and they've he just has slowly but surely gotten his team back on track and gotten his game back on track. Um, trying to think what else. Cam Talbot keeps on winning. He's 11, two and two in his last uh, fifteen starts. Uh, Zuccarello is playing much much better. Fourth line has been really good for the Wild. The Parisi, Sturm, and Benino. Last night they did struggle, um, but but uh, you know obviously uh, you know <laughs> everyone struggles now and then, uh, and you can see it by the way their first shift they turned the puck over a couple times, and uh, they just seemed to be on their heel for much of the game. But the Eriksson line was great. I thought uh, the Johansson line was. Fiala, who responded to his benching the 11 minutes, uh, final 11 minutes of the second period. Uh, Two games ago, he responded with a huge goal, a fourth goal in the third period. And if you remember the Wild last night, they had a bit of a questionable uh, goalie interference. Uh, on Marcus Felino that wiped out a Carson Susi goal, and then Galagoski scored as the first uh, 75 seconds of the third period. It cut the deficit to three two. Could have really been hairy there for the Wild, but Fiala with the Wild on its heels, that line of Johansson, Fiala, and Hartman with Ian Cole and Carson Susi just had a monster shift in the offensive zone, and Fiala scored just a, a really big goal. The other news on this trip. Is, uh, Nick Bukestad is here and he's uh, skated for the first time yesterday at the morning skate. I just ran that into him in the lobby, by the way. Uh, it's funny because you don't see these guys uh, all year because everything's virtual from a reporter's point of view. So it's like, you know, face to face other than the Stanley Cup final. Uh, it, when when he was there for Pittsburgh, and I interviewed him a bunch because we have a mutual friend, Ian Cole. I really have never met face to face guys like Marcus Johansson and uh, you know Cam Talbot and and people like that, even Caprissa. Um, so it's just interesting being in the hotel and seeing these guys. But I ran into Bukestad, and um, you know, man, is he chiseled! Uh, I, I did not realize how absolutely in shape he is, and and so he looks like he's close to coming back. He's going to probably need a couple of practices, and the the issue. Here is that there's not, they're not practicing Tuesday, which is today, and they're probably canceling practice Thursday. So I think he's just here to basically uh, practice in the morning skates, and then if they need him, they need him in case of an injury. But I think they're going to be patient with him, and then they're going to have to decide who comes out of the lineup for Bukestead. Um, You know, could they maybe pull Victor Rask? Uh, could they? Uh, If they do that, either put Bukestead in the middle or move Marcus Johansson to the middle and use Bukestead at wing. It'll be interesting. Uh, Dean Evison didn't even want to think about it yesterday because obviously a lot can change. He basically said, uh, you know, we'll make that decision when it's presented to us. The one interesting thing, by the way, about Bukestead that I put in the story is that if you remember the trade, it was a seventh round pick, um, a conditional seventh round pick to the Penguins. The uh, Penguins were picking up half his salary, too. The thresholds for the conditional pick, the conditions were 70 games or 35 points. Well, with the 56 game uh, schedule, that's prorated to 48 games or 24 points. Well, Bukestad right now has played 37 games and has 15 points. So he's going to miss tomorrow's game. That's going to put him right on track and he's most likely going to miss the next game. So there's almost no way that he's going to be able to hit that that uh, threshold in terms of uh, uh, games played. So unless he gets on a tear when he gets back and gets nine more points, the Penguins will actually get no draft pick uh, from the Wild. So essentially the Wild got Nick Bukestad for free and he's been very, very handy this year. Uh, but without further ado, um, very happy to be joined by somebody that I think you're going to like to hear from, Alex Tange. Really happy to be joined by Alex Tange, the Iowa Wild assistant coach, uh, former Avalanche, great, uh, scored the cup clinching goal for the 2001 Stanley Cup champion, Avalanche, and uh, awesome analyst on NHL Network a couple years ago. Alex, what, what made you? Uh, transition uh, to go from being really somebody that I thought really developed an incredible voice and somebody that a lot of us hockey fans uh, really grew to appreciate on NHL Network to saying, you know what, I'm going to pay my dues and go to the minor leagues and uh, and coach uh, hockey?
2: Well, you know, Michael, that's a that's a good question because quite honestly, like the, the TV, I didn't know that I was going to take that route when I finished. I knew that I wanted to stay with the game but I didn't know under which capacity I wanted to do it because I want you know having moved around a little bit later in my career and having the kids you know getting set in, in in school and stuff like that it was it was difficult to to not think of them first for a little bit but I wanted to stay involved with the game but maybe not do a whole lot and and um, that TV allowed me to you know still stay connected with the game still stay current and talking with some teammates and some friends you know from around the league and and be able to analyze. And, and it gave me a different perspective on the game. And it also gave me a different um, different voice, you know, being a French-Canadian and having to verbalize some of the stuff that, you know, that I thought were naturally came into you. I mean, you grow up playing hockey and you've never really had to thought how to do a saucer pass or, or what to do in this situation. It comes naturally. and And you have to be able to explain it and explain it not only to the hockey expert like you watch hockey every day like the gms like like the coaches but also to the casual fan who might watch hockey once or twice and you know they're seeing something from austin matthews they want to be able to dissect it and 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 get an analysis that will be um that will be you know kind of he will be able to understand and and also brings the hockey expert you know a, a different view on it too so that was fun but you know, you you go all these years, Mike, with uh, having you know competition ingrained inside of you, and because your physical ability diminish, that fire, that you know, that desire to to be driven and to win, it doesn't necessarily disappear. And for me, I, I just thought that it would be a good opportunity to to get my feet wet, to get an understanding and. And to be perfectly honest, those, you know, this is, we're finishing up here shortly on the second year in the AHL, but it's been an unbelievable experience as far as, you know, what, you know, kids today are like, because, you know, like this year we've had an 18 to 18 years old kid playing with us in, in Hunt and, and O'Rourke and, and, and getting to be familiar with what, you know, coaching is leadership is how do you manage different personalities? The personalities at this level, i have never been around. And, and at the NHL, I had been quite a bit more. So I'm more familiar with the NHL and the HL has been a great learning curve for me.
1: The, uh, you know, a lot of players that were like you, Alex, that had just a tremendous career would also sort of say, you know what, I want to get into coaching, but you know, I should be in the NHL right away. I'm Alex Tange. What what made you say, you know what, I- I'm willing to go to the Isle Wild to get on buses again, to have my family live in Florida while I'm in Des Moines? I mean, that, that had to be a real tough decision as well, or no?
2: It was, it was. And, you know, it's 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 getting weary on me now. It's been two years. Well, you know, for a year and a half, let's say, what what happened in the pandemic. But, you know, having my kids away from me last year was simpler. Uh, I had, you know, an agreement with Tom Kerbers and Tim Army that, you know, every five weeks or so, I would go home for, you know, every time we'd have a day off, I'd go home for a day. And they'd give me an extra days of miss one want practice. So I'd be home. Every five to six weeks, I'd be home for a couple of days. And then the family can come in a few times too. This year the kids they have to skip school for 10 days if they come. So they haven't really come to all that much. And I haven't been able to get away from, from our bubble because we have to test on a daily basis. So it's been difficult, but but the decision was was simple. I mean, you have to sometime pay your dues and, and to become a good coach, I believe that you have to learn from the grounds up what, what the kids are like, what they like to learn how do you have to teach certain things? And, and certainly I felt from day one that my hockey IQ, you know, that's what I was as a player, that my hockey IQ is good enough to, to be in the NHL, but to really become a coach. I think that this has been a tremendous experience of, of getting to experience different things, get to, you know, to, to share and and view stuff and, and the teaching stuff that you have to get yourself to be a professional. Uh, it doesn't mean that you are a good player, that you're going to be a good coach. And there's certainly work and, you know am I sometimes getting myself and looking at different guys that are right away in the NHL you know having not you know just retired and and getting themselves an assistant coach in the NHL? am I thinking that could be me? Yeah, sometimes I catch myself doing that but but in all honesty i'm I'm very happy where I'm at, and I think that I've made good progress and I'm still learning on a day to day basis.
1: Yeah, it's probably on long, those long bus rides to Grand Rapids or something. Yeah, you
2: when you act. come back at five <laughs> thirty six 6 a.m. on the Sunday morning after having played on the Saturday night, sometimes that decision might creep into your mind.
1: How how much more can you and your family handle this? I mean, you know, with them living in Florida, I mean, your kids, if I remember correctly, also are great young hockey players as well, uh, you know, growing up in Florida, um how long can you guys uh continue this uh do do you see yourself having to move on at some point
2: yeah this is you know this is it for me i mean in the sense that next year where we're going to be we're going to be together as a family i mean my daughter is going to be 13 years old so i know how fast it it gets and how shortly she'll be out of the house and haven't been away for hockey you know sometimes you miss some of that stuff and and certainly i have the last couple years and and in today's world, you know, yes, there's more, especially with the pandemic, there's more and more, you know, um, zoom and, and, and FaceTime and all that stuff involved. But I do miss being at home. I, I when I'm home, I'm on the ice every day with the boys at hockey. I'm, I'm on my daughter We're you know, with, to her activities, whether it's tennis or, or swimming, I'm there and it's. I miss that a great amount. So I enjoy the game of hockey. My wife knows that it's a passion and it's not going away, but certainly um, kids is going to be first and foremost. So regardless of where we're going to end up next year, because I haven't, you know, had those discussions, I haven't made any plans yet. We're going to, you know, we're going to be together as a family. That's for sure.
1: Absolutely. makes sense. Um, You know, Alex, you you talked about uh, some of the young kids that you've coached down in Iowa this year. Uh, Ryan O'Rourke, who learned today that the OHL is not coming back, so he's there for the distance in Iowa. Uh, Damon Hunt, Adam Beckman, you have Kalen Addison, who's 20 years old. Um, it's it feels like the future is bright with the Minnesota Wild. Uh, you know, Rossi's not even there. Kaprizov's up here. Uh, you know, you just got Matt Boldy. Um, yeah, can you discuss some of those prospects and what you think their futures will be like?
2: Well, uh, Michael, you're right. I mean, there, there's been um, you know over the course of the last you know decade, if you if you'd say for the Minnesota Wild, there's always been that that we're going to get ourselves to the Stanley Cup playoffs, and and we're going to try to perform in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And when you do that, well, guess what? Your your draft situation, you're going to have to trade away draft picks, and you're going to have to to acquire people. And and finally, over the course of the last few years, you know they've they've made a real effort to get themselves you know with with a list of prospects that's that's going to have an impact and and certainly uh we haven't seen Rossi yet you know i know that he's he's been suffering from from an injury this year or or a situation where he can't play but you you start to see some of the prospects from the previous year and and some of them are here and some of them are not you've talked about Roar. Hunt went back you know for sometimes into the WHL he should come back in at the end of his season for a few more games with us so it's going to be great for them to for him to, to see a few more games and for us to evaluate where he was at when he started the year, the progression that he's made, how did he do, how'd he fare in juniors and how, how is he back here, you know, at the AHL level and a guy like O'Rourke, 18 years old. I mean, it's a, there's a reason why the AHL, you know, those guys are 20 when they come in, it's a physical league. It's, it's a, it's a league that, um, that it's not as, you know, there's a lot more structure in the NHL. Here, you've got the same physical attribute, but the structure is not as clean or is not as as quickly reacted to. So those guys, there's a bit of an adjustment. It's a little bit more scrambly as far as play. And and for guys like that, I mean, it's, it's great assets. You know, I've been, we've been trying to push those guys, you know, that, hey, a guy like Damon Hunt, a guy like Ryan O'Rourke, why wouldn't you play on the Canadian World Junior Team last, next year, you know, which would be. Great experience for them to, to build on their resume and to get themselves ready so that when they're 20 and they become pro and they sign their contract with the organization, they're they're impactful guy that that you perhaps see, you know, a future with the Minnesota Wild. So that's what we've been trying to provide for them. And it's been it's been a lot of fun. On Ford, you know, Kovanov has not been here. I think he's playing he's playing overseas, but you know, you're starting to see a guy like Connor Dewar who's making a real step, a guy like Brendan Duhamel who's had an injury who's starting to play a little bit better we're just starting to see that you know what matt boldy is about you know i can speak from experience when you're drafted 12th overall you know (laughs) there's expectation in an organization and certainly you see the skill level that he's brought forward since he's been in from boston college it's been
1: michael has been fun to watch yeah well how what, what kind of guy is he too like we we've all seen him for years Every time I talk to him, he just seems like he's got a great head on his shoulder. Now that you've gotten a couple of weeks with him, what type of person is he? It?
2: Well, it's funny. I actually interviewed him for the draft with the NHL network at the time. I was sent to Buffalo and I, you know, that that crop of American talent was Egress, him, uh, Caulfield, Jack Hughes, all those guys, we, we kind of had an interview. So it wasn't my first time meeting him. And he's 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 got a great head on his shoulders. He's a level-headed kid. You know, he sees he sees the big picture. And, you know, he's been here today, like, just for an example. Today, he was first on the ice. You know, he's shooting pucks by himself. He's making little moves. You can see that's a guy that's trying to absorb as much as possible, trying to get better, and, and sees that, you know, yes, you're in the NHL, the AHL, and he's been producing, but there's a big step between the AHL and the NHL as far as, you know, skills. Of, there, there's reason why. Guys in the NHL will last there for 10, 12, 15 years because they're the best of the best, and there's nobody to take him around. So for a young guy to come in and, and have success at the AHL and still sees that you know, you need improvement, you need to get better in order to be an NHL player. And, and secondly, to be an impactful NHL player. And I think that's that's what he views himself. I I don't know that he said it to this point, but I would be surprised that that we don't see him at some point. Um, you know whether it's this year or next year, having an impact with the Minnesota Wild,
1: right? How about Addison? That's another uh, player that uh, Wild fans just love watching down there, and and can't wait till the, he gets up to the Twin Cities.
2: Yeah, he's had um, he's had a good early in the season. He was real good, and you saw you guys saw him for a few games and and um, with with the uh, Wild, with the Big Wild. But certainly, he's a guy that's got tremendous skating ability. He's got really good hand, really high-end skill. We're on the power play, but there's been a bit of a transition period. You know, you have to play the game with bigger and more physical guys. So you have to take away more time and more space. And, and for a guy like that, you know, like for me, the best example of Jared Spurgeon, not necessarily the biggest guy, great skater, but, you know, the one thing that that Jared does that's, that's outstanding is you take away time and space so quickly that you've got no time to play against he uses his size as a leverage to hit the guys and move the guys from the lower standpoint. And he moves the puck extremely well. Even though he's highly skilled, he doesn't make the fancy plays. He makes the great, the good plays early. And and Kalen's going to have that ability. He's a good skater. He's going to have to defend with his feet, you know, because of size alone. He's got a low center of gravity where he can, you know, he can push guys out and he can do the things that are necessarily, even though he's he's a bit of a smaller stature. But I think that watching a guy like like Spurgeon and watching him on the power play, how he moves the puck and stuff like that, there's still there's still a little bit of transition that Kalen needs to have because he's got all the tools to become a, an NHL power play guy, an NHL defenseman. But he's working on his trade now, and and at some point, whether it's you know, like I said, same thing with Boldy, whether it's this year or next year, or whenever the organization feels he's ready to have an impact with the with the big club,
1: makes sense. Uh- Got to ask about that prospect, uh, some guy named Cody McLeod down there. Uh, <laughs> what, 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 I, I got to what is it like to coach Cody McLeod, your former Colorado teammate?
2: Oh, it's great. I mean, obviously, first and foremost, we're friends. And, you know, as a coach, you know, the relationship kind of, you know, changes a little bit. It changes the dynamics, certainly, of the relationship. But Cody uh, has been such a good influence on young guys. And, and the one thing that I've learned about the AHL is that it's very important that you have good veterans that will show the right way to the young kids, because as much as a coach would like to have an impact on the player, sometimes the best impact and the best leadership that they could get is from different players. And a guy like Cody that comes in, enjoys the games first and foremost, extra competitive, wants to win. You know, he's going to go through a wall. if He has to, in order to help his team win good example on the gym, good example, as far as, what you need to do on the road to to eat at the right time, to sleep at the right time, to get themselves ready. So, yeah, he's not a prospect anymore, and mm-hmm. he knows it. And today, we we did a little bit of skating because, as you know, we, we have kind of a college situation. So at the end of the practice, uh, the legs at 37 years old might not quite be what they were at 21, 22. So he might, at that time, realize that he was closer to retirement than he thought he was. <laughs> but, you know, to have those guys see him go through the paces at the end of practice and still work, you know, and put tremendous effort, I think it's a great example for our young guys to see that, hey, he's played, you know, X amount of years in the NHL, and he still has that passion for the game, and he still shows them the right way that's that's good for us to have him.
1: Especially in a year like this, Alex. I mean, this is not a normal AHL season. You know, it's funny, you mentioned testing earlier in the in the show, and I mean, you'll get a kick out of this. So like this morning, so to get into the Staples Center in a couple of days, you have to either be vaccinated for 14 days or have a negative COVID test within 72 hours. And of course, when I'm in the Staples Center in, in a couple of days, I'll be only vaccinated for like eight days. <laughs> so this morning I had to get up take a bright and early COVID test and then like run to the UPS store to ship it to wherever it goes to. And I was like, this is a pain in the butt. I can't believe I got to get up early to do this. And you guys have to do this every single morning at like 7 a.m. I just cannot believe the commitment that all of you have to do this year. It's got to be just exhausting to get in late at night or, or play a late game and then have to just run to Wells Fargo arena to take a COVID test so the commitment that the that all these players including Cody and the coaching staff and everybody this year um it's it's pretty impressive it, it has
2: been i mean you're absolutely right you know the dedication that is taken not only for you know for the coaches i mean we're there you know you're here in the morning that's the hours that you expect so it doesn't doesn't necessarily makes that big a difference but for for the players that you know mostly in the AHL too you play a friday saturday game So the Saturday morning, you know, you'd like to sleep in a little bit and sometimes we just have meetings at night, you know, on a regular season, where this year at 8 o'clock, you have to be back. And sometimes after games, you you don't quite sleep the same way. You need your rest. You need to get back home and and try to get yourself as prepared for the next game as possible. And not only that, Michael, but also the fact that, hey, uh, those guys are young, you know, kids that are, you know, that would be college age for the most part. So those guys, you know, like not having some, you know, any kind of social life. I know it's been hard on the world, but, you know, most of the world is still with their family in some way, shape or form. Those kids are miles and miles away from home. We've got kids from overseas. We've got kids from all over North America that are here. And their circle of friends is basically what they have at the rink. And, and for them not to see their friends outside the, the rink or not being able to do too much socially, not able to go to the restaurant with the other guys, go to their apartment. It's been tremendous amount of sacrifices for for those kids who, let's be honest, you know, when you're in the AHL, you don't make the same money as you do in the NHL. So the house is not the same. There's not the same luxury in the house. There's not the same type of uh, stuff that you can do inside. So it's been it's been an Extremely uh, appreciated dedication from, from what our players have done this year, no doubt about it.
1: It's, uh, it's absolutely amazing. Um, so last year I'm in Colorado, uh, uh, Alex, and talking to Joe Sackick about you. And he goes, do me a favor, make sure you put in the article. Uh, in the future, that I was writing on you and Brett McLean at the time, goes, Make sure, like, 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 what does Alex Tangay know about the penalty Kill, that he is coaching the penalty Kill with the Iowa Wild? He was a power play guy here in Denver. So so are you still coaching the penalty Kill? Yeah, I've got
2: a little bit of both responsibility, As you know, Brett is upstairs <laughs> yeah, right. now, So and and we didn't hire, or Tom Curvers and, and Tim Army didn't hire anybody else. So it, it kind of expanded on my responsibilities a little bit, and it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. We've had our challenges with early in the season where we were, you know, with COVID and the situation in Minnesota, we we were struggling both on the penalty kill and on the power play. The goaltending was not doing as well as we should. And then it was a great experience for me. You tried to find solution. I mean, as a coach, that's what you're trying to do. Put your players in, in the best situation possible, try to find solution for them, try to provide answers for their questions. And, and it's been great. And you know, Joe, it's probably for the better part of him knowing me as a, you know, I never really killed until like the last six, seven years of my career where I was, you know, everywhere I'd been, you know, I just, it was just a reverse factor where, you know, you think of the passing lanes that are on the power play. Well, how do I take those passing lane away on the penalty kill? And, you know, I had success late in my career on the penalty kill and it's, it's helped me last year. We've had good success. We just broke a record here in, um, in Iowa <laughs> of the most consecutive penalty killed, uh, killed. And in, in all fairness, you know, I wish I could say it was coaching. It's, it's the players that do the job. And certainly on the penalty kill, having a, you know, your most, imp- your most important players, certainly your netminder and our goalies have been playing better. So it's, it's helped a big, uh, a tremendous amount, but, uh, it's been fun. It's been fun. It's challenges, you know, some of the stuff that worked last year did not. Who respond the same way this year, so having to adjust because of personnel change and stuff like that. It's been, like I said, for me, HL has been a good learning experience, and um I'm very happy to be here.
1: Uh, a couple more minutes uh, with Alex, uh, and I do have some shorter questions for you as well, Alex. Um um, I did want to ask you about uh, about two thousand and one, obviously, and I covered that series against New Jersey Devils, and it was just a sensational series, obviously. Um, you know, yeah, uh, Patrick Wanet, you have Forsberg, you have Sackick, uh You scored the cup clinching goal, but but Raymond Bork, I think, is going to be the most iconic memories by anybody in that in with that with that uh that series. Uh, what was it like playing with Raymond? Uh, any great stories about about him after he came over from the Bruins? Well, how much time do you have? I mean, <laughs> stories we. Can, I got plenty of time. We to, can it's, talk it's about it all yeah. day. I mean. Yeah, I, my first year in the
2: NHL was ninety nine two thousand, and at the trade deadline and for the first year, I was still a nineteen year old kid, and the team asked me to to find me a billet family. So they're looking around, and Patrick just said, "Hey, why don't you come stay with us?" You know, like I had a guy do it for me my first year, and and my wife is from Quebec City, like like you are. The kids, you know, I was like, really like. So I was a little shy, but anyway. I went from shy to being really shy because you know three or five six months later in march we got ray bork traded to us and ray and patrick were great friends and and so going to the games um live living in parker colorado just south of the practice rink in denver well ray's wife didn't want to take the car and drive back with ray after the game and patrick his wife wanted to do the same thing so i was the designated chauffeur Patrick Waugh and Ray Bork going to the game on, on year one. And then my God, like if I would have had a car accident, I would have been the most hated men in Denver based on the impact that those two had for the team. And it was, I mean, you're sitting there in the car. Those, those guys were my idol growing up. I mean, I grew up watching hated Patrick because he, I was a Nordiques fan and obviously what he did with the Canadians was, you know, especially in the 93 playoff, I still remember to this day, but Ray Bork, I mean, what, what more can you say? The guy's a hockey icon. And, and all of a sudden, you know, both those guys are in your car, you're driving them to the rink and and the passion that they had was just, I mean, they get to the game and you could see like it almost their face was drooling because they wanted to go out and win and perform. And, and Ray, you know, stuck with us for another year, didn't work on year one. And then, you know, what he meant for that organization, that franchise on that year from day one, the, the dedication that he had, I mean, it was just a, a tremendous example for all of us. I mean, we we did win the Stanley Cup, Michael, and I know you covered it. But for most hockey fans that don't remember it, in 2001, Joe Sackick missed most of the second, yeah. which was the MVP of the league that year. Missed most of the second round with a shoulder injury. He missed three or four games in that second round, if my memory's not uh, failing me. And and then Peter Forsberg didn't did not play in round three and four. So we did win without, you know, arguably... You know, like one of the best players in the world at that time in three out of the four rounds. So it was it was a, a lot of grit and determination. Certainly, that's something that Ray
1: provided for all of us. It's crazy. Um, by the way, I have total. I had a in '99 or 2000. Florida Panthers are traded are training in whole Quebec during training camp, and you know, like writers do, you you stay long after the team leaves. Well, same thing. I I walk out of the rink. It's probably hour and a half after practice and standing there waiting for a cab is Pavel Bury. And I'm like, "Pav, what what's going on?" He goes, ah, I can't get a cab." And this is obviously way before Uber and Lyft. He goes, and he's like, "I I I need to get back to the hotel. Can you give me a lift?" And I remember driving him back to the hotel being absolutely like frantic that I was going to get into a car accident with Pavel Bure in my passenger seat. It was just like one of these things that it was just like the most intimidating drive, uh, absolutely ever. So <laughs> I could totally appreciate, uh, uh, what you were dealing with, uh, Alex. Um, what, what was it like living with Y? I I mean, that had to be a beyond of a, a beyond a hoot.
2: Yeah, it was, I mean, it, as good as you, you know, could have expected. I mean, for me, I was a young guy and, and, you know, you grew up in an environment where. You know, you watch those guys on TV on on a daily basis, and all of a sudden, you know, he kind of brings you into his life. I mean, and and I wanted to have, you know, to be a hockey player. I wanted to learn and 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 to be able to see his intensity, see the way he prepared, and some of the advice that he gave me, you know, just allowed me to have, you know, to have a career, a long career, and 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 I'm so thankful for for the time that he took. And it's funny, late years later you know, I moved to, got back to Colorado. He's my coach. And he's like, Hey, you know, we've got this kid, Nate McKinnon. And he goes, would you be able to, you know, to have him for the year? I was like, sure. I said, but at that time they had just traded for me. I said, let me find a house first and let me find, you know, this stuff. And, and by that time, J.S. Jaguar and his wife, you know, took Nate because J.S.'s wife was from Halifax too. So they had some connection there. So Nate went to live with, with J.S. Jaguar, but it would have been, you know, good for for me to kind of give back some of the advice, some of the tools, some of the responsibilities taken away too, because not having to cook, not having to do a whole lot. It's, it's nice on year one in the NHL that you can defer some of those
1: responsibilities. Yeah, no doubt about it. Isn't it crazy if you think about it, what he would have been like three or four years old when you were playing for the, for, for the Mooseheads, right? Yeah, it's, it's,
2: I played for the Mooseheads, and my billet family. This is a story that you'll like, yeah, Michael. My billet family at the time, the the daughter was seven or eight years old, and way back then, they were already talking about one of the kid that was in our class when I was my first year in Halifax. And the kid in the class was a kid by the name of Sidney Crosby. You may have heard of him. So they were <laughs> in the same, you know, same class as my billet family, the daughter of the family that I stayed with. So.
0: You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Um, Alex, uh, just a lot of cool questions with you. Um, uh, one, one from Fiala asks... Uh, it's not actually Kevin, by the way. It's uh, somebody with his uh, his name on Twitter. It says, uh, which prospect excites you the most in Iowa? Which prospect has the highest ceiling? Anybody you want to divulge? Well,
2: I mean, there, there's a lot of guys, you know, obviously the, the highest ceiling are, you know, will be defensive guys that you've talked about, probably mm-hmm. because at this point they have the most skills. So guys like you know, Boldy and Addison, guys like, like Boldy and Addison certainly have, you know, a ceiling that's probably higher because they, they have the ability that if they keep on developing, they could be point producer at the next level, you know? And, and that's why for me, they have, you know, higher potential, but it doesn't mean that they will have the bigger impact, you know, a guy like Connor Dewar, I, I strongly believe that, you know, he's getting himself very, you know, very close to a position where he can, he can compete to be an impact player in, 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 in the lineup. Um, But the progression that those kids will have in the next year, two, three, four, probably until they're 24, 25 will dictate which kind of impact they're going to have. I mean, you guys have had the best example in Minnesota this year. A kid like Kaprizov, as good as he's been, you know, probably at 19 or 20, there's still a progression that you're not quite sure what he's going to be, right? He's a little bit Mm -hmm. older. He's a little bit more mature. He's got more physical abilities. And he came in when he was fully ready to be an NHL impact player.
1: How, like you played five games in the HL. I was just looking for the Hershey Bears. Um, you know, how did you make such a quick adjust, adjustment? I mean, obviously you were a special talent, Alex, but I'm sure there's times where, you know, a minor league player is talking to you and is getting impatient of all the time that he's spending with Iowa and he's looking at you and he's like, well, you went right to the show. Um, you know, how, how do you, which obviously is irrelevant, um, but how did you adjust so quickly and how do you kind of, uh, you know, give advice to a player that might be saying, you know what, why can't I get up to Minnesota already?
2: Yeah, well, it's, you know, honestly, today's generation, you know, they want answers and they, they want honest answers and real answers and then give them advice from there. So that's that's the thing that I've seen so far that has worked the best because, you know, last year there was the best example for me has been a guy that, you know, I won't name him, but he's no longer a prospect. You know, like these days are, are done. He's had his little time and stuff like that. And he's like, well, first of all, like, how are you going to help me? You know, those were his words. And why would you help me? I said, because, you know, that's that's my job. That's what I like doing and this is what I want to do. And then we started talking about certain situation and, and gave him a few advice from experiences, mostly at the start of the year last year. I mean, I hadn't coached for all that long, but experiences that you've had an experience as a player, which makes the game simpler, which makes which makes the game easier. And And I remember when I was, you know, a young player. Um, Bob Hartley was my coach in Colorado and Jacques Clousier was one of the assistant coach, but there was two guys in the organization, one assistant coach and one assistant general manager that for me had such big impacts on me because every advice that they gave me, I would listen because I knew they had been there and they had done that. And Michael, you'll know the name, a guy by the name of Brian Trossier and another guy by the name of Michelle Goulet, both Hall of Famers. And some of the tricks that they gave me to this day, they still work because they had done it, tried it, and experienced it and and worked at their craft and, and got better at it. So they kind of have solutions that are already provided for you. Well, those solutions I've I've worked with them, I've experienced them. So when I relay them to the players, you know, it's just how you phrase it because you know it works and you know you have to get to the players. But for the most part, the the fun part about it is that I've I've experienced it. So when I look at them in the eyes and say, this will work, sometimes they might not see it right away, but once they try it, they realize real quickly where a, a coach is, and that was the same thing for me as a player, where a coach has has not done it or has not played at this level or has never really experienced it. You kind of, you know, you're still got your doubts because sometimes you just don't see it, you know, in, in, that, fair, in, in that way. So it's It's been good. It's been a learning process. I'm still trying to get better because you got to manage not only, you know, 23, 24 different uh, players, but 23, 24 different personalities and, and how to approach and handle all those guys, you know, f- with with some of them. There's uh, major differences as to how you do it.
1: Absolutely. makes sense. Uh, two more questions for you, uh, Alex, and then I, I promise to let you go. I love this question. I don't know if you're going to love this question. Uh, Elon wants to know, I would love to hear his perspective on the 0-3 playoff series versus the Wild that year. I've never heard from the Avs side of things from that series, which is a, a great point. I've written about that series so many times from a Wild perspective, but we really never talked to anybody that was on the other side and had to suffer that painful, unexpected loss uh, where you guys were up 3-1 in that series and somehow Minnesota crawled its way back in.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, as you said, I am I'm rem- remember after the series, like been sitting in my apartment the next day, I was like, what are we going to do? Because my first three years in the NHL, the, the earliest we had lost was seven games of the conference finals. So you're losing in the first round and we were up 3-1. And, and we kind of, you know, Jacques Lemaire had a great system, very patient system. And, and we just, for some reason, we, we could not get over the hump. They played extremely well. They played tight games we weren't able to produce all that much and they were able to to capitalize on their chances, even though, you know, it was an, an evenly matched series that perhaps, you know, you watch this series and, and you would wonder how did this team, you know, not win, you know, playing against the Minnesota wild. They had a tremendous run, you know, Minnesota went on to, to win, you know, another round and then, and then lost in the conference finals. If I'm not mistaken, it, it's just, Hockey is so tight and sometimes you have to play better than the other team. You have to find solutions. And, and we just could not find the solution for a team that was so structured and, and played so well. And, and, you know, um, that's what it was. It still, it still stinks to this day, but you know, they, they, there's so many close games that went their way and we just couldn't capitalize.
1: And, um, I still remember Andrew Burnett scoring that goal for sure. Yeah. And then he comes and plays with you, right? You, I don't know how long you were in Colorado with him. I think only one year. Yeah, one year with him. Andrew. Yeah. 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 But I mean, you know, I know that he and Joe, uh, every time I see Joe Sackick, he always is like, how's Bruno? Um, <laughs> I mean, I know they were really, really close there uh, or became close, but what was it like playing with him? Uh, a guy that probably walked into that locker room feeling maybe a little uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, no, a- Andrew's a spectacular guy. We all knew the skill that he, he possessed. We all knew that the intelligence that he had, I mean, he wasn't the most, um, the fastest player out there by any mean, but, and and he came in the year, we were kind of transitioning at that time because of the salary cap, but kind of, you know, made our team change, you know, direction with different players. I mean, year one of the salary cap, Peter Forsberg left and, and Adam Foote left. So our team kind of, took a different turn but he was there Joel Quenville was our coach and and Joel you know you know kind of liked him put him in good situation and he was an impactful player for our team and and what the type of skills that he had around the net it's still as good as as players as you can find down low for sure
1: yeah well hey uh Alex I really appreciate the time you know it's it's funny just talking to you I, I still remember sitting third row at that press conference in 2001 game seven what looking up at a a 21-year-old Alex Tangay just uh, just fresh off winning a Stanley Cup, scoring the cup-clinching goal there. I think it was a game-winning goal in the second period, if I remember correctly. Um, and, you know, here we are. Uh, it's crazy, 20 years later doing a podcast together. Um, you know, just keep up the great work in Iowa. I, I can't wait to see where you wind up uh, next year, um, you know, and where your, where your career goes. But maybe one day I'll be covering a, a next generation of Tangay kids in the NHL.
2: No, we'll see. That's they have a long way to go before that <laughs> happens. That's for sure. Yeah.
1: What it what it, what's youth hockey like in South Florida right now? It's
2: it's growing. Obviously, um, you know, I'm in southern southeast Florida, so it's been probably better around the Tampa area because the the lightning over the course of yep. the last few years have had such a a major impact since Mr. Vinick took over. But it's growing. There's there's you know where the good AAA teams are the great teams in Minnesota well, you need to find a team from across Florida to have a team that matches them. Yeah. But he's growing, it's getting better, um, but it's um, it's certainly still, you know, it's still a nor- northern sport and you, you find that real soon when you come to northern area like Minnesota, like Massachusetts, like anywhere in Canada where, you know, there are probably
1: more better players than there are. Yeah. No doubt. And some, some guys make it. I mean, I watched uh, Jacob Chikrin last night, and he is just a spectacular hockey player for the Coyotes. And obviously, you guys have Duhame down there uh, with Iowa. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I sat down last winter, Alex, with uh, Ole Okun and Radek Dvorak, who have that hockey academy down there, and it just seems to be blowing up as well. So it seems like a lot of former NHL players are trying yeah, to really they do have. a quality job. And, you know, yeah.
2: I've got my hockey school down there that, you know, it's still going now that even though I'm here, I, I was able to last year after the pandemic, when we reopened in Florida, able to skate and, and Radek is, you know, they're doing a little bit of older kids. So I've had Alex, his son, you know, come skate with our our kids. They're kind of the same age. So it's been fun. It's been it's been fun to see the involvement to not only in, in my area, Southern Florida, but it also further north in Tampa where, you know, Vinny LaCavalier's got a team, uh, Fennessey, uh, Finesa Gatto is like all kinds of NHL, former NHL players are having impacts on, on some of the development of the youth down there. So it's been fun to watch.
1: Well, hey, thanks, Alex. Uh, good luck the rest of the season here. Send my best to Tim Army and I'll be talking to you soon. Thank you, Michael. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash straight the source will get you in for a $3.99 per month promotional uh, discount. And uh, not only is this the time to get in because there's just, I, I can't even convey to you how many stories I have in the works right now. It's actually making my, nu- my uh, brain go crazy. You're going to see an awesome story coming up on uh, Taylor Turnquist and her boyfriend, uh, Nico Sturm, that's coming up early next week. Uh, Taylor played, won a, uh, won a championship with the Boston Pride, and obviously everybody knows Nico Stern. but I got so many other stories in the works, but there's podcasts everywhere as well. Yarmo Kekalainen, the GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets, joined Scotty Burnside and Pierre Lebrun this week on two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, and former NHL goalie Kevin Weeks, who I covered in his first two or three years in the National Hockey League uh, down in Florida, the lead studio analyst at NHL Network, is Craig Custance's guest this week on the Full 60. Uh, so let's try to do a quick Q and A. I haven't done this in a while. I got a lot of really good Twitter questions. I grabbed about seven or eight of them. So let's uh, let's bang through them. Let's see. Um, Ryan asks, "How do we how do we the Wild balance rest and injury risk uh, versus continuing to build into the playoffs? Also, what was the resolution with the Belpedo injury?" Um, it's a really good question. The first part, Ryan, because you know, I, I was I went down to the lobby today and I ran into a couple guys and they were talking about you know they have another day off here in Arizona, and they were talking about actually how they almost like start are starting to miss practice. And the one thing a couple guys said is that they think it actually like one or two practices might actually help their game right now. And even though the Wild seem to be winning every single night. Um, doesn't it feel like while their power play has become the best in the league suddenly, 15 for the last 34 this month, their even strength play has really taken a turn for the worse. And I think a lot of it is because of the fact that they play so often that they take so many practices off that they're essentially coaching through video. And sometimes you just got to get on the ice and refine some things. So um, that is a tough thing right now. But it's it's very crazy. Like this is the first trip I saw Bukestad in the lobby and I was thinking about this. This is the first Time all season long that the Wild have been on the road and not a single player has been left behind because of injury or um, COVID-related uh, illness. So um, you know they are completely healthy right now and uh, and uh, they are absolutely trying to balance that rest versus injury. And in terms of the resolution with the Belpedio situation, um, he is back playing for Iowa. Uh, the NHL did make – so So, if you don't know the Belpedio situation, he played one game in Los Angeles. He gets, he gets checked, and he – I can't even imagine what this must have felt like. He breaks his ribs, like a couple of them, like in half, like sheared, beyond painful. And uh, he knows something's hurt. He goes back to Iowa. They give him x-rays, and it turns out that he is – um, that he's got broken ribs. So what happened was the wild were hoping that because he was up on one of those, uh, section 50 dot 10 E, uh, no cap type recalls, um, that they were hoping that since he was up on that, that his, his, uh, he would not count versus the cap while he was out. Well, the league determined that the second they made roster moves when they got healthy, that he became a regular recall. So y- yes, for three or four weeks, uh, he did count versus the cap. But right now, the Wild are not in a cap uh, desperate cap situation, but he did wind up counting versus the cap, even though the Wild had hoped uh, that he wouldn't. Uh, ben Hurdle, if Boldy does come up for the playoffs with a healthy lineup, does he even play? Only question mark would uh, he play over Sturm. Um, you know, I hope he doesn't play over Sturm. I think Sturm has fit in like a glove, especially since he's been on center. He's been a huge penalty killer. I think he's playing well. I think he deserves to be in the lineup. Um, but I do think that at some point, Boldy could be called upon. Um, you know, I don't think that they need him right now. They're completely healthy. In fact, Bukestead is close to returning, and they're going to have to find a spot for him, maybe. Um, so right now, I think this is a good problem to have. You keep him in, in Iowa. You have him work with guys like Matt Uh, like Alex Tange and Richard Bachman and Tim Army down there. And um, then when they need him, they call him up. And whether that's the regular season or the playoffs to be a black ace, uh, so be it. But uh, either way, this is valuable experience. But I don't think there's any reason to force feed Matt Boldy into the lineup. I think that all Wild fans would love to see him, but this team is rolling. And the other thing that I think that Wild fans don't realize that is a thing, is that sometimes if you just take a rookie and you throw him in the lineup and you pull out somebody that's been there all year and doesn't deserve to come out, it does create some tension in the locker room, not just with the poor kid that comes up and might feel uncomfortable, but even with the teammates in the locker room that love the guy that was pulled out of the lineup. And in a situation like this, if you don't have to put Matt Boldy in, I don't think there's any reason to. But would it shock me if all of a sudden the Wild have an injury or two down the stretch or in the postseason and we see Matt Baldy play? I don't think it would shock me at any more. But right now, all he's got to worry about is continue to play well down in Iowa, uh, show that he's a professional, and he'll get his time at some point here. Remember, he's still a young kid. Uh, Squad 42 asks, How likely or unlikely is it that Parisi and Suter would waive their no moves for expansion? I don't see why they wouldn't. The chance of Seattle taking Parisi or Suter... Um, in expansion, it's just, to me, it's nil. They're not taking them over over some of the other guys that could potentially be there. So I don't see any reason why Billy Garen wouldn't, after the season, there's no reason to do it now, after the season, if he has to go to one of them and say, look, you know, Ryan, would you waive your no move? You're not getting taken. This is not a blanket no move. So if you waive it your no move, it's not like I could trade you anywhere. This is just a no move for expansion. Would you wave your no move and allow me to protect him at Dumba? And I think that if you if he does that, he would also be considered the most consummate teammate ever. And same thing for, with Parisi. Parisi, though might not honestly have to at this point, because if they go if, if Suter waved and they protected Dumba, then you could go the 7 3 1 route. You're going to protect pretty much all the players that I think, you know, without doing the math off the top of my head, I think you could be able to protect most of the players that you would need to. But maybe he goes to both guys. Um, the guy, if I'm betting on that they're going to lose, is Carson Sousse. He's having a really good year. I think he's plus 20 right now. I thought he was outstanding last night with Ron Francis and Lauren Henning. In the rink here in Arizona. Um, you know, I've got to think that Ron Francis and Lauren Henning last night liked a lot of the players that could potentially be available uh, for the Minnesota Wild because they played quite well yesterday. Uh, Mini Takes also asked about predictions for expansion draft there. You sort of had it. Uh, Pete Rothheimer, who uh, I've met years, many years ago. Uh, Nico Stern becomes a UFA after the 21-22 season. Would Billy Garen look to extend Nico early? Uh, potentially, he could do that after July 1 this year, I believe. Because or Technically, whenever. it wouldn't be July 1. Normally, or it would be July 1. This year, it would be uh after july 28th is when free agency started then the wild would be able to extend them um but it's a good it's a good point i think a lot of it's going to come down to money i just got off the phone with nico for honestly 45 minutes for this feature i'm writing on him and his his girlfriend for next monday he is such a well-spoken kid it's it's amazing for somebody that grew up in germany and is german one, he has like very little accent, and two, he speaks better English than me. He's certainly smarter than me, so it was just a great conversation. And uh, I, I'm telling you, I got off the phone with him, and I slacked my editor, and I'm like, uh, "Sarah, you're not gonna believe how good Nico was for this story." So uh, I think a Wild fans gonna love that story. Um, Jason Gouda asks, uh, "What difference on the what's different on the power play now from the beginning of the year? Are we seeing some regression to the mean?" Or have substantive changes been made? Um, great questions. I do think earlier in the year, if you look at the analytics, uh, the Wild were very unlucky. Um, you know, I mean, just remember that first couple power plays in Los Angeles when the Wild had like it felt like twenty scoring chances and couldn't score on the power play those first two games. And uh, it really sort of set the trend for the rest of the year. They were so good at even strength that those two games, and it continued throughout their year. And then their power play became historically bad, and looked like it was—I mean, it was hovering around six percent around mid-March, and looked like it was going to be the worst power play in NHL history. And now they've made some personnel moves, but I just think they've gotten back to the bread and butter. I mean, look at the look at last night, the Marcus Johansson goal. I mean, that's just simple hockey that's been around for a hundred years, right? Matt Dumba shoots from the point. Rebound Johansson's net front scores. And that's what they're doing more. They're moving the puck better, they're getting into the zone better, but then they're just getting pucks to the net. And they've they've gotten some net front presence now that they weren't getting earlier this season from even guys like Parisi, Erickson, at Greenway. So I think that's been the biggest change and the reason why the NA, the Wild have the top power play in the league the last month. Um Jeremy asks, what is it about Parisi's game that's led to his recent point spurt? Has he earned another shot at some power play time? Um, I think that Zach looks really good right now. I mean, last night, I thought the Sturm, Benino, and Breezy line struggled. Um, in that game. But you're right, the last four or five games that they played together, they were just outstanding. And obviously, Zach's been red hot of late. I think he just looks like he's skating better. But I do think, and I don't want to take anything away from Parisi, because you're never he's never going to cheat you on his work ethic. But when you're playing on the fourth line, it's a lot different than playing on a top six uh, unit where you're playing 20 minutes a night against top defensemen, top checkers. So, I mean, he's mostly going out against, uh, with all due respect, the redeem C-mix of the league. Um, and uh, Zach Parisi, even at 36, will take advantage of third defense pairs every single night. And that's, I think, what's going on right now. In terms of the power play time, the way the power play is going, I don't think that he's going to get back on it. Um, I feel like the Wild feel like, um, you know, and again, with all due respect, that Zach was just not performing on the power play at this stage. And so right now, they just love what he's doing. at 12 minutes a night, even strength. Um, playing great on the fourth line, and I think that's going to be what the plan is for a little while. Um, let's see, two more questions. Uh, Brian Hansen asks, uh, who will Spurgeon hand the cup to first? That's a great question. Let's see. I mean, I would assume it's got to be Parisi, but would, he give, would, would his defense partner forever, Ryan Suter, get very upset? Uh, potentially. Uh, I got to think that you give it to the all-time leading goal scorer in Minnesota history, right? Um, uh, in Zach Parisi. I mean, it's amazing. You look at Zach Parise's numbers for Minnesota born players and who he's above. Um, and he's only nine power play goals, pa- uh, beyond Phil Housley as well, shy of his record as well. So I got to think Parisi gets it over Suter. Uh, last question from my buddy, Jordan says, uh, what's the worst hotel in Phoenix? That's definitely an inside joke. Poor Jordan. A couple years ago, might have even been last season, witnessed uh, a Mike Russo meltdown with the front desk clerk at the airport Sheridan, uh, where I checked in after waiting at the airport for like an hour and 20 minutes for my shuttle and uh, was not very happy. So that, I think, was an inside joke. Uh, This was a fun podcast. My thanks, as always, to Alex uh, Tange. My thanks, as always, to Jeff Domet, our incredible producer who produces so many shows along uh, the athletic platform and check out our comment section for each podcast episode of The Athletic app and rate subscribe to Straight From The Source on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to athletic.com slash Straight From The Source and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Talk to you next week.